All righty. You ready to be taught God's word? All right. I heard two mumbles. Come on. You got to get ready. All right. Somebody's excited. I'm glad for you. <laughs> we'll make you a groupie. All right. That's what we'll do. All right. Uh, open up your Bibles and I'm going to eventually get to the book of Genesis. That should be an easy one to find. Put your finger in chapter 15. I'm going to be reading from that in just a moment. Genesis 15. And then I'm going to leap to the New Testament in Romans 4. So if you uh, have an old school Bible, for me, this was one of the old paths. It was my, uh, my old Bible. I was using an iPad and I, I have my phone, which has every Bible translation, I think, known to man on it. But I don't know, there's something about paper and Bible paper. Oh, the lights. Hey, is it possible to uh, turn up the... Thank you for doing that. I don't pay attention. I'm in the zone already. I know people... Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. We've been studying um, on the series Inside Out. And uh, while you're finding maybe Genesis and Romans, let me just also share this. This month and next month into May, we'll be continuing this series on Inside Out. How many of you realize that life has to be lived inside out? You live it outside in, you're going to be in trouble. And uh, Bishop, Fred, and I have been going almost every other week. In fact, we'll probably uh, continue that for a while. Uh, this coming week, I actually am going to Pensacola. I'll be recording uh, for global distribution, which is really exciting for me, um, some of the old Bonhoeffer material with, re with regards to cultural reformation. And so it's no longer called that. I say that so people know what I'm talking about. Um, it's now called Christian Legacy Institute, but we'll be recording that live in order to be disseminated globally. And so I will be down in Pensacola, suffering down there on the white sand beaches of the Gulf, doing Jesus' work, by the way. And uh, yes, leaving my wife at work as she diligently supports her husband, doing things like this. Um, but uh, Bishop will be up next week. He's dropping some real nuggets some good gold nuggets of revelation in this area isn't it good to be able to just soak in an area and i think it's really good that you get to hear voices of experience and uh, some knowledge hopefully some anointing and uh, we can be expanded and enlarged in that way but we're going to tarry in this area of inside out if you want to live victoriously you've got to get this in your system that God is going to work with you and with me inside out. Everyone say that with me, please. Inside out. Let me show you why. In Ephesians, let me get my handy dandy gun here. In Ephesians 3.16, this is what we read. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Where? In the inner man. In the inner man. Now, why is that necessary? Why do I even care if God would strengthen me uh, with might, his might, if, with his spirit in the inner man? Why would I even care about this? Well, we're going to find out in Ephesians 3.20 because Paul will continue by saying, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. So something should be or needs to be, God wants it to be happening inside of you 
in order that something can take place exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. I don't know about you, but I can think pretty big sometimes. And yet God's able to do even more than that. Now let's just do our reviews. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a teacher at heart, and so I, I like to make sure everybody's on the same page. We're going to review quickly. There's been four or five sermons already taught that you can go online to YouTube and pick it up if you'd like to hear the details of this. But our review is simply this, that we have basically two aspects to us. One is our body or what is called the outer man. The outer man or your body, what we all see and relate to each other normally by, is dominated oftentimes by our five senses. Our five senses, I wrote them down because sometimes I get tied up in the middle of them. Touch, taste, smell, see, hear. Five senses. And for most people, those five senses will determine their outlook on life. It will determine their, their, their emotions. It will determine the way they make decisions. It will determine, really, their quality of life. Simple but important is this. That the quality of your decision-making will ultimately reflect in the quality of life you're living. Good decisions, good life. Bad decisions, bad life. All right? So, the outward man is dominated by these five senses. Inside of you, there is what the Bible calls the inner man. We've already read that. There are two compartments in the inner man, so to speak. There's the part of you that's called your spirit, little s. The Holy Spirit, obviously, connects with your spirit. And so your spirit, in general definition, is the place of God connection. This is the place inside of you where God is going to work, God is going to, to speak and, and manifest and strengthen, and uh, it's very important, your spirit, your spirit was dead in trespass and sin, but the Bible says that when you received Jesus, the life of God came into you in your spirit, uh, your spirit came alive, resurrection power caused it to come alive, and it's that place inside of you that knows God, senses God, relates to God very important. All of what you're going to get from God is going to flow through your spirit by his spirit. His spirit to your spirit. That's how God gets things to you. Now, the second area, so to speak, is the soul. The soul is the decision center of your life. Your soul is what we would define as your mind, your will, or where you make decisions, and your emotions. Now, here's, here's the dicey part of living life. The key is, what is going to control or dominate your soul? Because your soul is going to be affected by one of two things. Your soul is either going to be affected by your outer man that's dominated by your five senses. So every time you see, you hear, you touch, you taste, you smell, is that going to dominate you in such a way that it causes your soul to make decisions based only on your outward circumstances. Are you following me? Yeah. Or is the spirit portion of you going to be the place where God begins to speak and to, and to, and to empower and to be give insight and discernment and all the things that God can give to you? Is that the part of you that's going to exercise dominion? Because how many of you know that what you see may not be the whole truth? Your circumstances may not be the last say. What you're hearing and what you're seeing may not be exactly what God has said. 
And so you've got to begin to understand how to distinguish some things inside of you in order to not be controlled by your outer man. Now, obviously, this is real around us. We're not discounting what's going on around you. But the fact of the matter is what's going on around you was never meant to exercise dominion over you. So we've got to live life out of the inner man dominated by the spirit, the Holy Spirit relating to our spirit. This is just a review. We've gone over all of these things. Now, uh, housed, housed in your mind is this place that I've been wanting to work with and talk about, and we're going to spend some time here. This is the, this is the part, uh, Bishop's at Liberty, uh, to kind of zero in on those areas that, that God's speaking to him, and, and obviously they're flowing to you that are important. Uh, for me, I want to I dwell a little bit in this area in the mind that has been called the imagination. The imagination. The, real, the reason the imagination is so important is this is where your future gets painted. Did you hear that? This is where your future gets painted. Now the question is, will your circumstances paint your future? Or will God paint your future? Think about that for just a minute. Who's going to get to paint your future? The chaos that's running around you, do they get to paint your future? Or does God in all that he has, his plans, his purposes, all those things which we all know are good, or does he get to paint your future? Because here's the deal. If you let your circumstances begin to paint your future, what happens is, is the imagination will turn to what we call speculation. And out of speculation, fear arises. And in that fear, we begin to make decisions possibly uh, against the very will of God. Because the fear is motivating us because we're seeing what's around us. You know, we're seeing that they're laying people off at work. We're seeing that I don't have enough money in the account to pay the bills. We're seeing that uh, my family's falling apart. We're seeing all of these things. And what happens is if our senses dominate us, we begin to speculate. We run down the road out of that fear. And that fear begins to determine, listen what, to what Job said. Job said, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. Now hear me when I'm saying this. Why is that? Because fear and faith operate on the same internal mechanisms. Fear is simply you establishing a truth that you've caught by your senses as being reality. It will be the future reality for you. It's the ones who say, I always knew I was going to get fired. I always knew they were going to lay me off. I always knew it. I always knew that my finances would dry up. I always knew it. I always, and, and your fears have caused the thing you feared the most to come upon you. Now, this is really key for all of us because the Bible says that there should be a distinct difference between how the Christian lives and how the person of the world lives. It's not just by moral standard, although we should have character and morals, no doubt. But the fact of the matter is we should have a divine advantage, I think, because the Bible says greater is he that is in me than he that's in the... Well, that should give me a distinct advantage, would you not think? So how does this future get painted? Because you'll never, you'll never be able to link your faith to something unless you begin to understand that God, through your spirit, 
will begin to speak to you or to paint something to you that will begin to outline or, or, or begin to color in a future that he has for you. That's what Ephesians 3.20 that I read to you earlier was all about. Paul was saying that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. So you need to just catch this right now, and this is good news. God has something so remarkable for you and for me that we can't even begin to conceive it at the moment. And when we do begin to conceive it, it will seem so large that it will almost be impossible, but with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible in other words what you can't do he can do and if he paints a picture the only way you're going to walk into the picture he paints is when you walk into it by faith by faith all right now this is i don't even have this in my notes we're just reviewing but your imagination your imagination so we're going to continue to talk about this i've already laid some things down beforehand but i want to talk about how the imagination is manifested manifesting the imagination now listen to me we're going to talk about some really cool stuff we're going to talk about how in in later messages how how satan will try to corrupt your imagination we're going to talk about we're going to talk about why your imagination evaporates and it seems like you can't dream anymore we're going to talk about that there's so many things that are coming i mean the lord has ignited some things again in me because hear me what I'm saying. If I looked at all the circumstances in my life and I would base decisions simply on my circumstances, we're in trouble. But if God has painted a picture that I can get a hold of, that I can link my faith to, how many of you know you're unstoppable? All right? So manifesting the imagination. Well, let's read some scriptures. Is that Okay. Genesis 15, 1, we read, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. You see, your reward is not all the stuff that you have in your attic. Your reward is not what you're driving or sitting in your garage. Your reward is not the house that you're living in. The Lord himself is your reward, which is actually a better reward than your house. Because he's the one that controls all this stuff. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Doesn't that sound like us? What will you give me? As if he's not enough. What will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. And now this was important in Jewish households. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So, again, you know the story. Abram and Sarah, old, out of childbearing years. Doesn't seem like this is going to happen. But the Lord continues. He said, Then he brought him, meaning Abram, outside of his tent. And he said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And Abram said to him, oh, excuse me, and the Lord said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And he, meaning Abram, did what? Believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, let's go on with the story. The story goes on because Paul wants to pick it up in the book of Romans because now 
he's going to elaborate on how your faith works with this picture that God painted. He painted a picture for Abram saying, see those stars? One of these days, your family tree is going to be that big. I'm painting the picture for you to see. And the Bible says that Abram believed. Okay, but let's talk about maybe in a little bit more detail how that looks. Romans 4, 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. This is the good news. This doesn't work for just Jewish people. It works for us Gentiles too. If we're in Christ, we've become the seed of Abraham. It says in verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Paul's referring back now to what was said in the book of Genesis. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, listen, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Remember that. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Now listen, after I've just done this review, what's it saying here? He's not looking at his circumstances, is he? He's not looking at what's going on around him. He's not looking at now what he's even feeling. He's not, this is not what's speaking to him. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Are you hearing what's being said to us? But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. Hallelujah. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. All of this together, a lot of scripture, but I know it's unique. We read scripture at church. I know this boggles people's minds, but I think it's important to read Bible at church. All right? We're getting the word of God in us, and now I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on what I've entitled here, how you're going to manifest this imagination, how, how what God has painted inside of you can begin to come to pass. Now, we live in an era where much is made over the concept of vision. I've heard people say, you know, I've got a vision for my life. This is what I believe is the vision for my life. I've heard, obviously, in church world, you'll hear about church vision. What's the vision for our church? Uh, businesses have a vision. What's, what's the vision statement for the business? So there's a lot of talk about vision. But it's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing to see a vision come to pass. A builder can hand you a blueprint. A builder can put a set of plans in front of you with the elevation, they call it, of the house that you're wanting to build. You can begin to see the blueprints of these things, but how many of you know it takes something more than just the blueprints to transform that piece of paper, that elevation, 
into the reality of the home that you're hoping to eventually live in. Now, everyone that's here today, I suspect, has imagined all kinds of things in your life. Some of you have imagined careers. Some of you have imagined things like, I'd love to live in a house like that, or, or uh, I'd love to purchase maybe a piece of property like that, or I'd love to have a relationship like that. Or, or at times I've thought to myself, wouldn't it be great to have a, 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 a church facility that was designed exactly like you wanted it? Some of us are imagining for revival. Some of us imagine for city church. Some of us imagine for an awakening. Some of us are imagining just to get a bill paid next week. I mean, all of us have these things that we're imagining. But the question is, how does this stuff get from my imagination to manifest? Well, the Lord told Abraham to come out from his tent, which I take to mean that you're to come out from your normal circumstances. You got to step out of your circumstances for just a moment and let the Lord begin to speak to you. And the Lord said to Abram, he said, look at the stars, because those stars are going to speak to your imagination because your descendants, which are very important to you, are going to become exceedingly great. And it says that when he believed the Lord, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Now hear me when I say this. The Bible says it's a righteous thing to imagine for God's purposes. Now this is where we, we'll get to this later. But our problem is we imagine for our purposes. And that's a problem because your life is not your own. If you claim to know Jesus, Jesus is not the great enabler, the great facilitator. That's not what he does. He's not facilitating your agenda. The Lord Jesus came to take over your life. It's no longer yours. It's his. With his he, he created you, so do you not think he might know best how it ought to operate? Now, we say these things, but when it comes down to living it, that's when it gets hard. Because our flesh, with our senses, always want some things that the Lord may be saying, that may not be the best for you. But we aren't convinced of that. Because we have a little verse that we take out of context that says that God will grant us the desires of our heart. And we pull that out of context and say, well, see, this is what I desire, so I ought to get it. Right, Lord? And so we imagine our purposes. Where if your heart has been transformed, if your heart has been regenerated, if your heart has made clean and right by the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart will be his purposes. All right, three of us, good deal. It's righteous, but it's righteous to imagine God's plan, God's purposes for your life. When God begins to unveil his purposes, it's more than wishful thinking. God-ordained, it's endorsed imagination. You know why God gives you personal prophecy? You know why God whispers things to you in prayer? Do you know why God, in the middle of a message like this one, begins to open up your spirit, and suddenly you begin to see things, even as pastor speaking, that God begins to paint for your future? You begin to see it happening, even in this situation right now. Do you know why God does this? It's so you can begin to imagine. Something's working on the inside of you to, to begin to imagine. Let me just tell you how it works for me. It'll work for you a little differently because not all of you do what I've been called to do. You guys, some of you have been called in the business arena, marketing arena, sales arenas. God has put you in jobs or careers or places 
that are his will for your life. And that's, and that's great, and it's good. I'm just telling you how it works in mine, and as I tell you how it works in mine, I want you to translate it into yours. I remember when uh, I was saved, as you'll recall, when I was 18 years old. And, I, I mean, I knew nothing. I was, I was as dumb and ignorant in the things of God as you can imagine. I, I used to tell the story that when I used to take those early uh, Bible classes at college and I was sitting in a room full of aspiring ministers and like the Old Testament professor, we were going through Old Testament introduction and he would start teaching and he would talk about stories like uh, Abraham and Sarah. I didn't know who, Abraham and Sarah. Who's Abraham and Sarah? I never read the Bible. And so he could, he could teach some things upon the assumption that everybody in the room knew what he was talking about. And by and large, it was correct that everybody did know that stuff in the room, except for me. I didn't know anything. And, and so I used to laugh, and this was my excuse for getting such a lousy grade point average my first year of college, was I used to say uh, that I had, to, I had to do twice the work. I had, to read, I had to read stories that no one else had to read because they already knew it. But I had to read it in order to catch up. But actually, that was a good thing because I actually had to read the text fresh, whereas everyone else might have just known it by tradition or, or by some instruction. And so for me, while it was a lot more work, it was interesting, at least, uh, that God used that in order for me to read the text in a way that needed to be, it needed to be read. Anyway, I didn't know anything. So, so I'm going to this school. Uh, it's a Christian college. And we had to go to chapel twice a week. But some weeks, if they had revival services, you would go every day to chapel. And then there was another week that they called spiritual deepening week. Or emphasis. All right, spiritual emphasis week. I thought it was spiritual deepening week. But anyway, either way, it was a special week. And what they would do is they would get college kids to actually be the speaker. Because all year long, you'd get the professors or other pastors or old guys. You get all these old guys to come speak to you. But this week, they usually pull college seniors out and then let them speak at chapel. And so I think I was a freshman or a sophomore at the time, but it was the first time I'd ever gone through a spiritual emphasis week. Okay? So I'm sitting there with my friend, and, and he wasn't even a religion major or, 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 or you know, training for pastoring. And uh, one of these college seniors started speaking, and I mean, he was good. It's like what we used to say, he could shell the corn. And he was shelling it that day. And I remember sitting there, I was just amazed that he was good, he was interesting, he was kind of funny. He was just, you know, you could relate to him because he's your age, you know, or at least in that age area. And I remember as we were walking out of chapel that day, just a remarkable service that I looked at my friend, and this is what he said. I said to him, I said, one of these days, I'm going to do that. And he looked at me and he goes, Kevin, you just, need to, you just need to temper your aspirations a little bit. You don't know anything. <laughs> well, you're right. I don't know. He was right on that one. I didn't know much of anything. But there was something that ignited in me at that moment that said, I want to do that. I, I believe, in fact, as I look back now, I use the phraseology, I want to do that, but now I'm, I'm, I'm confident that it was God stirring, saying, I'm going to have you do that. It seemed impossible. Why would anybody, I had no connections, my parents weren't a part of the denomination or the church, I was, I was 18 years old, just recently saved, 
I didn't know much. I mean, by all outward circumstances, how in the world would that come to pass? Let me tell you what God did. He put that in me to such a degree, I, it made me study harder. It, it made me work harder. And, and then what was interesting is that you'd go through classes, and some of those classes were public speaking classes. And so you'd, you'd train and you'd work hard. And there were all kinds of crazy things that I did for this, for this moment, which, which seemed like it would be an impossibility. But this is what the Bible said. It said that Abraham, against all hope, hoped. Against everything that said you're a fool to think that way. Against all of that, you just think that way anyway. And not only did God let me do that once during a spiritual emphasis week. Yeah, that's when Tracy said she was going to marry me. That's that story. Listen. Not only did he let me do it once, he let me do it twice before I was graduated. That was unheard of for a college kid to be able to speak in a chapel, the same one, on two different occasions. That's what imagination does in someone's heart. I didn't even understand. I was just innocent. I was naive. That's why the kingdom of God seems to work so well in those that have a childlike spirit. It's because there's just this innocency, just believed. Everyone's looking at you saying, it'll never happen. Just, you ought to forget about it. You'll get disappointed. And they're throwing all this stuff on you because your circumstances and, and, and what it looks like in your life just is no way it's possible. And yet, yet against hope, against all hope, you just keep hoping. Now, I hope you're hearing me because that takes energy. It takes putting yourself in a position where you can hear voices that will look at you and tell you, I understand it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And he brought it forth, at least in my life. Let me ask you this. Are you imagining God's purposes for your life? Because the fact of the matter is preaching is easier than walking. Everything in our natural world and senses fights with what is happening in our spirit. Here in Charleston, which is a lovely, wonderful city, and there's so many things that we can, we can tick a box off and say it's, it's a great place to live. The weather normally is really great, and it, it's got wonderful touristy things to do. It's one of the, if it's not number one, it's like the number two most visited place in the world, and we get to live here. And so there's so many boxes that we can tick off, but listen to me. You know what our, our, well, we have many problems maybe, but let me tell you one, and it's this. We're, we're, we're better at imagining our history than we are imagining our future. Isn't that true? You go, what, what, what is downtown? It's, it's, it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful historic area. But the imagination that captures us is what was, not what could be. Now, I get the reasons why a city like Charleston would do that. I'm just using it as an illustration for you to tell you do not be captured by that spirit. Your, your future is not behind you. The rearview mirror is not what you need to be looking at. God has something he wants to paint for your future. It's why Jesus had to spend three intense years with his disciples. He had to break 
their imagination's power to the past religious system, to all the things that they were a part of, and build in them the possibilities of the future. Hear me when I say this. God had to send Israel into a desert for 40 years to break the patterns of the past and how they had imagined and continued to imagine all that happened in Egypt that had to be absolutely broken. The only way it could be broken was by a new generation who could finally imagine themselves stepping across the Jordan and taking the promised land. They had to imagine themselves as warriors, not as grasshoppers. So a part of what we've got to get in us as believers is to help one another and to help others imagine their future purposes in the economy of God. Now the question is again, how does this happen? Well, Paul helps us out in the book of Romans. And uh, how is all of this going to be manifested? He tells us that God granted the promise, which was righteously imagined, to Abraham. And he said to the seed of Abraham, that's us. So you and I are the seed of Abraham. It says in verse 16 that the words faith and grace, which means something must happen beyond our own efforts. In other words, it's by faith and by grace that God paints this picture and the manifestation of our imagination is going to take place through our faith. Now, we're going to have to link up our, our obedience. We're going to have to link up our responses. In other words, I can't sit on the couch and be a couch potato and say, God's got a great future for me. I'm just sitting here till it comes by and knocks on the door. That isn't how it's going to work. Faith without works is what? Dead. Faith, and this is what that literally means. Faith without corresponding action is dead. In other words, faith is not just you believing right, but faith will be you moving right, speaking right, aligning yourself right before it even happens. That's faith. In other words, not to be indelicate, Abraham and Sarah were to have another child. They couldn't be sleeping in other rooms. Are you following me? Do I have to get detailed in this illustration? In other words, they had to catch up on occasion. Are you following me? Faith without works is dead. You don't get kids unless there's some corresponding action. All right, so that's what he's saying to us. You just can't look at your surroundings. So there's going to be four, get this, four key concepts. If you can get these four today, you will be well on your road. And I'm telling you, God is, is renewing and reviewing in our household. I can tell you that there is a powerful thing that's happening in my household. I have seen more amazing, miraculous things probably in the last year than I've seen maybe in the previous 15 or 20, and I've seen some remarkable things, but I have seen some crazy things from the hand of God take place because he's renewing some of these things inside of us. Four concepts in manifesting imagination. Number one is this, conception. Conception. Before your imagination can come forth, it has to be conceived, conceived. Now, let me give you an, an example I think the ladies will connect to this probably a little bit faster. If, if a woman is, is wanting to bear children, and, and that's usually a desire of just about, about every woman you'll meet. There's something innately created inside a woman that wants to bear children and have kids. It's amazing to me uh, 
ladies, when, when uh, they're wanting to have children, obviously it's conceived with the husband, it's conceived and, and you're pregnant, and once that's conceived, this is what many of them will do. They'll, they'll, nowadays, they'll go online and they'll begin shopping, right, for cribs. They'll start thinking about the room that's going to be the nursery. They'll, 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 they'll start thinking about what all has to shift and change in order for this baby to come to pass. There's going to be showers. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of things that, that, that demonstrate that there has been a conception. In fact, for some ladies, and even if they're struggling with conception, they will begin to do these very things anyway, believing that that moment for conception will come. And so it happens, you begin to do things around you that begin to demonstrate that there's something inside of you that has been conceived that will eventually come forth. So I'm talking about receiving the seed of that, of that promise, of that purpose into your system. You must receive the seed of his word. You must receive the seed of what it is that he's painting, you must receive that. You say, well, how do I receive it? I'm I, Okay, I get it, but how do you receive it? Do it like this. Say these simple words. I receive it. I accept what God has said. How did Mary do it? Let it be done unto me according to your word. Now, I'm just telling you things because people go, yeah, okay, okay, okay. No, no, no. Don't think it. Say it. We'll get to that in just a moment. I receive that. I accept that. I also remind people that there are some women that conceive easier than others. I know some of you have struggled with conception, and, and, and I understand. I don't understand why those things happen. And some women, you know, we used to laugh with my wife. She's fertile myrtle. I mean, she could be downwind of, you know, and she something happened. I mean, it was crazy. She just, she, that was just her. But some women, you have a, you have a challenging time and, and, and there may be biological things happening. Not, nothing, nothing that's evil or you haven't done anything wrong. Sometimes it's just the brokenness of humanity just puts us all in different, different positions at a certain moment. But, but even in that, there's the ability to say, but I know God has children for me and somehow he will get me kids and that can be conceived whether it's conceived naturally or not it can be conceived in the spirit and you say i receive that i accept that somehow the doctors say it's impossible but with god all things are possible so you have to dwell i encourage you dwell in fertile environments dwell in churches that conceive promises that seed, that seed is the word that God brings to you that is enlivened. It's enlivened to you. What has God said to you? What is God painting for you? Only you can make it come alive. I can't make it happen for you. Nobody can make that happen for you. The only one that can do that is the Lord himself. And so you have to let that be quickened, the old King James Version used to say. Let it be quickened in you. And come to life to where you're, you, and you'll seem crazy to everyone around you. When you'll share it with someone, they'll look at you and they'll roll their eyes and go, I don't even know why you think the way you think. But inside, you know that you know that you what? You know. Conception. Number two is conviction. Conviction. Remember Romans four sixteen that I read to you? It says it's a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise 
might be sure to all the seed. It might be sure to all the seed. That word sure there is the Greek word for certainty. There is a certainty. There is a conviction that what God has painted, He will bring to pass. That what you have seen with the eyes of your spirit is a sure thing. Your senses can't talk you out of it. Your circumstances can't talk you out of it. Your family can't talk you out of it. How many things get talked out of? And, and, and those that have small children and those that are watching by YouTube or it's streaming live on Facebook, one of, the, one of the high violations of parents is when they look at their kids and they tell them to somehow quit dreaming. Or they look at them and say, we can't afford it. You'll never be that. And we douse their dreams. Don't be a dream douser. This has to be an unshakable truth in your spirit everyone may think you foolish or crazy but there is something convinced inside of you it's the moment revelation takes place and is embraced there's no talking you out of it there's no second guessing god has painted this god has said this it's amazing people have asked and i've had young preacher boys have asked me at times how you get into the ministry or, or they're not being encouraged in the ministry or doors aren't opening in the ministry Listen to me when I tell you this. There was a moment that I was convinced that this is what God had called me to do. My parents were not going to encourage me. The family thought I was nuts. My circumstances didn't warrant any belief in this area. But I was the one that got, set my alarm clock at night. I got up in the morning. I did my devotions. I pressed through. I was convinced you could not talk me out of it. God had painted the picture. Has he painted a picture for you? To where you're certain. And this is hard. Because, because this is what double-mindedness is all about. Because the minute you get certain, because I'll send, however many people are here today, we'll send you out today and everybody's going, yes, I'm certain. And Monday will happen. And you'll go to work. And the first thing that will happen when you go to work is someone comes up to you and goes, bleh. And you'll get thrown stuff. And what you were doing on Sunday, you know, you're doing this on Monday. It's hard. But that's why you've got to get that conviction. We're not a culture with many convictions anymore, are we? Number three is confession. Confession, Romans 4.17. Remember when I read this. It says, it is God who gives life to the dead... And, and God's giving the principle here. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So what you, you're speaking things that aren't real yet. But you already begin to say it. Yeah, God's going to give me promotion. He's going to promote me. My promotion is unstoppable. This career that I want to get into is is going to take place. I just keep confessing it. It's on its way. The phone call's on its way. We, we laughed. We got, a, we got a prophecy a couple years ago, and uh, there was a two-part aspect to the prophecy that we received, and one part already came to pass rather rapidly. And so that gave us great confidence that the second part was, was really genuinely God, and it had to deal with great wealth. Now, I, you know, and we're happy with where we are in life, and it's not like I need great wealth, and if God gave me great wealth, I'd probably give three-quarters of it away. 
But we walk around all the time and we'll look at each other. We'll be in the car and we'll go, hey, man, great wealth's coming our way. Great wealth's coming our way. We'll look at a bill and like a tuitional payment for the kids. And we'll look at that tuitional payment and then look at the checkbook. Then look at each other and go, great wealth's coming our way. Great wealth's coming our way. That's right. And we've made all those payments. Amen. But it's, 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 it's your mouth. Your mouth is the key. Calling those things that be not as though they were. So you must speak the conviction. Even when you have no sense or external proof that that is going to come to pass. That's what faith looks like. Faith isn't speaking what you see. Faith is speaking what God has shown you through the eyes of the Spirit. Now, you cannot just mindlessly or flippantly say words. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for salvation either. I mean, you just can't trip your way down to an altar and just go, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe that he's raised from the dead, and I guess I'm saved. No, that's not how it works, is it? There's conviction. Well, there's repentance too. There's, there's a seed of salvation that was conceived inside of you. It says, who, contrary to hope, hoped anyway. I always say hope is like the imagination. Abraham never denied the reality of Sarah's or his condition. In other words, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't call those things that uh, were as if they weren't. He wasn't speaking those things that are as if they aren't. In other words, you know, I always laugh at people, you know, they've got runny noses and they're running 104 fever and they're going, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, bless God, I'm not sick. Yes, you are sick. And please don't breathe on me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible, this is how that goes. Yes, you're sick. Yes, you've got a disease. Yes, something's happened. That's reality. But the reality does not determine the ultimate picture. So no matter what's going on, my confession is this. I'm healed of the Lord. The doctor comes in and gives a bad report. You say, thank you, sir. I appreciate you diligently doing your job. And that's your report. And you wave at him as he goes out the door. And then you say, that's the report of man. But I shall believe the report of the Lord. That I am healed and that I am whole and that I will see my future. And that I will live for years. You've heard me say it. I'm going to preach into my 90s. I've been saying that and saying that and saying that. So the moment I feel like I'm sick or, or, or something's happening in my body, I just simply, I've said it for so many years, I just keep saying it. I don't know what this is, but it ain't taking me out. I'm still speaking into my 90s. Authentic faith doesn't deny your reality or your obstacle. It speaks the answer, the picture, and the future. And the fourth thing is confidence. So remember, these are the four concepts. How do I get what God has put in me, out of me? It's got to be conceived in you. You've got to say, this, thing, this thing's birthed in me. Nobody else can see it, can they? There's some things that God has birthed in me that I've not even told all of you, but it's in there. You can't see it. If I told you, some of you would go, yeah. And you know what I'd do? I'd smile and say, sorry, God hath said. It's conceived. There's a conviction. I know that I know that I know. Confession, it's in my mouth. I'm not just speaking 
my problem. I'm speaking the picture. I'm speaking the painting. I'm speaking the possibility. I'm speaking the future. And then confidence, which is now in Romans. Whoops, let me go back. Romans 4, 20 and 21. Uh, It says, do not waver. He did not waver. He did not waver at the promise of God. He had no internal conflict. There was no hesitation. There was no misgivings. Abraham was fully convinced. In other words, the word fully, pleroma, actually means to overflow. His, His confidence was overflowing. Fully, fully overflowing confidence. Confidence is that natural ease you feel sitting in the chair you're sitting in right now. When you sat in that chair, you were fully confident that chair was going to hold you up, right? In fact, if you would have sat on the chair you're sitting on right now and it would have broken, it would have, it would have highly surprised you and probably embarrassed you, right? Because why? You, you were fully confident that chair was going to hold you up. You have that kind of confidence with this painting that God has put inside of you. Confidence is the opposite of timidity. Timidity is not a synonym for humility. Humility is a good trait. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is really not thinking of yourself at all. What I mean by that is, is that if God has spoken into my life and it's his purposes that I am living for, not my purposes, when I begin to speak and am confident in what God has said, it is no longer about me anymore. So my humility is in the fact that you're right. I'm nothing. I can do nothing in and of myself. I am a mess up. I am a goof up in and of myself. Now hear me, this is the illustration. This isn't my confession. I understand that I've got no power in myself. I've got all of that. But here's the deal. I humble myself under the mighty hand of God because he can exalt in due season. So I don't have to be timid in that truth. The fact of the matter is God takes nobodies and turns them into somebodies. And I don't know about you, but I I mean this with all love. But we're a bunch of nobodies that God can turn into somebodies to his glory, not for our glory, his glory. Now I can go to Hebrews 10. So the writer says, do not cast away your what? Confidence. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't give it away. Don't let someone take it from you. Don't let the enemy talk you out of it. Don't let your circumstances shake you up. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Listen to me, let me tell you what the worst thing that can ever happen to you is this. You die. And then you get to go to heaven. Isn't that cool? That's the worst thing. All right. So don't cast away your confidence. Do not cast away your confidence, which has what? Great reward. For you have need, oh, this is the hard one, of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Listen, do not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Well, he switched this around. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Let's see if I get, oh, they got thrown out. Yet for a little while. How do you like that? I'm just kind of pasting and clipping here. 
He who is coming will come, back to Hebrews, and will not tarry, but the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, listen, what does it say? All right, man, that's heavy, isn't it? Now, here's, this is all God's saying is this, exactly what you said right there. He's saying, this is what God's saying. He's saying, it irritates me. If I were the voice of the Lord. He's saying, it irritates me when you let go of my promises as easily as you do. It irritates me. That's what the Lord's saying. It irritates me that I have painted such things before your face and you let them go so easily. Have you ever thought about the Lord just going, I I can do anything, says the Lord. I'm painting you this picture of telling you exactly what I'm wanting to do. And the first sign of challenge, you're whining. The first moment that it's not perfect environment for you, you give up. God's saying, this, I'm just telling you how he speaks to me. He probably doesn't speak to you this way. This is how the Lord speaks to me. I'm irritated with you, Kevin. When are you going to grow up, Kevin? You're acting like a little kid, Kevin. My will is being accomplished in you, Kevin. You signed up for my purposes, Kevin. My glory is going to be worked through you, Kevin. Remember, It's not about you, Kevin. It's about me. Quit letting go of what I've painted. I want to tell you one funny story and I'm done. I think it's a funny story. Years ago when I was a staff pastor at Evangel Cathedral, we would be called on occasion to go and preach at other churches. And we got a call one time to go to a church uh, in uh, the PD area of South Carolina. It was in Gallivance Ferry. Anybody ever heard of Gallivance Ferry? You've heard of Gallivance Ferry? They have, a big, they have a big debate that goes on there between politicians. But I was going to a church that was just way out in the country, tiny church. And my boys, uh, all I had were the two boys at the time, and my boys were little. I don't know. Clay was probably seven, eight years old, somewhere in that area. But they were asking, where are we going? And I'm saying, hey, we're going to a church. Where is it? I said, well, it's kind of in the Myrtle Beach area. And that's the best I could do it because they would not have known where Gallivant's Ferry was. Well, we had gone to Myrtle Beach on numerous occasions on vacation with the boys. And every time we would go to Myrtle Beach, we would stay at Spring Maid, which is at the south end of the beach. And about one block away from Spring Maid on that Ocean Drive, there was a hotel. I don't remember the name of the hotel, but there, were, there was this hotel with purple lights on it. These purple lights on the south end of Myrtle Beach. Some of you are shaking your head like you know the hotel. So you know it's kind of a, an obvious place. And whenever we would go to Myrtle Beach, the, boy, the boys, especially Clay, would say, Dad, Dad, let's stay at the Purple Hotel. Let's stay at the Purple Hotel. I want to stay at the Purple Hotel. Well, we aren't going to stay at the Purple Hotel. A, Dad couldn't afford the Purple Hotel. And B, Spring Maid had a lot of other things, and that's just the way it worked. But we would hear this constantly. So we're going to Gallivant's Ferry to speak, and he'd asked, where are we going? I said, well, it's in the Myrtle Beach area. Oh, are we going to stay at the Purple Hotel? I said, no, we're not going to stay at the Purple Hotel. Because 
because Galavant's Ferry is probably a good 45 minutes from the beach. I said, listen, there's, there's no way. I have never been anywhere where I have been placed in a hotel 45 minutes from your location. Oh, we're going to stay at the Purple Hotel, son. You can say that as much as you want. And he, if you knew Clay, Lord have mercy. We're just grateful he's alive today. I mean, we're just, oh, he was, he was a challenge growing up. But he did, all the way down the road. He, he was sitting in the back, he, because he just had to talk all the time. He's just, he's just, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. Purple Hotel, Dad, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. I go, son, just stop with the Purple Hotel stuff. We're not going to stay in the Purple Hotel. And then he'd be back there going, he'd be playing with a car. Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel. And so, so you drive a couple hours to Gallivant's Ferry. We drive to the church, which is out in the middle of a cornfield. We meet the pastor out there. We do our initial catch-up and things. And finally he says, okay, um, uh, we've got you set up. And, 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 and you go down all those highways. There's hotels all over those highways. We got you set up. There's a guy that goes to my church. Uh, he's got a hotel down at the beach. And, uh, you know, we just thought we'd set you up there. He owns it. He can get you in. It's easy for us, and you'll probably enjoy it. I said, okay, that's great. We'll just follow you. So... He, pastor, got in his car, started going. We started driving. And the whole time, Clay's going, Purple Hotel. We're going to go to the Purple Hotel. And he's just, it's just going, no, Purple Hotel. Would you tell the boy to shut up about the Purple f- Hotel? We're going, and we're making the turns, and we're going. He keeps going. I'm going, son, how many hotels are there in Myrtle Beach? A 10,000? It's like 10,000 hotels, you know. So... We're driving and we're going through. And then, and then I became aware of the fact that we're moving toward the southern end of the beach. He's still doing the Purple Hotel. I said, son, there's 10,000 hotels. There is no way we're going to stay at the Purple Hotel. You know where this story's going, don't you? You know exactly where this story's going. He's in the back yelling Purple Hotel for two hours. And suddenly we pull in and that pastor with God is my witness turned into the driveway of that purple hotel. And he's in the back. And then all of a sudden, he decides to be quiet. I just said, I can't believe this. We're actually going to stay at the purple hotel. I told you that. I told you we we're going to stay at the purple hotel. I told you. And he's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing better than an eight-year-old telling you, I told you so. Listen, I tell you the story for this one simple reason. Just, just an annoying kid. I, I love him. I think he's great. I think he's a, a, an, an incredible pastor. He's an incredible communicator now. He's, way, he's gone way beyond his dad in so many areas. An amazing young man. But I want you to know at that moment, he was annoying me. Just annoying. Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel. We're not even going to Myrtle Beach, son, doesn't matter. Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel. Do you understand we're going out in the country in a cornfield? Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel. Son, there are 10,000 hotels. The chances of us being in a Purple Hotel is like a roll of the dice. It would have to be one, I don't know, one in the odds. Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel, Purple Hotel. And get Guess what? It was a purple hotel. Some of you right now have got to get this. You're going to be annoying to some people. 
my life's changing. Our situation's changing. That relationship's going to be fixed. That bill's going to be paid. This career is going to turn around. God's going to open up doors for advancement, for promotion. This isn't for my benefit. Hear me, I'm not saying this just because my life's convenient. Hey, God could let you sleep in a box under an interstate and, and you could do kingdom work there if that's his will. But here's the point. I believe his will has something to do with reaching and affecting and enlarging. Listen to me. So it's not bad that we have good things and nice things. I'm not against that at all. I'm just about God's purposes and whatever his purpose, whatever his painting is, you just got to say it until it's annoying. Remember, remember, remember the parable of the judge and the woman who would go to the judge and she got what she needed because she just annoyed the judge. Do you understand that's a kingdom principle to annoy God is a principle of the kingdom. And how do you annoy him? Purple hotel, purple hotel, purple hotel, purple hotel. What's your purple hotel? Do you have a purple hotel? You're not even going the right direction in the car for the Purple Hotel right now. How many of you know God can still get you to the Purple Hotel? Are you hearing me? But it starts here in the imagination. I'm going to pray right now that God fine-tunes and gives you HD clarity in your imagination this morning. So that you can go annoy somebody. Would you stand with me?